This is Grumpy Oz Retro Episode 2, recorded on the 20th of July, 2023. Some of the references made in this podcast may be out of date by the time you hear this. By the way, the language in this episode gets a bit Australian, so I wouldn't be listening to it in the car on the school run. G'day and welcome to Grumpy Oz Retro Episode 2. My name is Tony and this podcast is about all things vintage computing and retro gaming from an Australian perspective. Today's guests will have a go at fixing just about anything. I really enjoy repairing machines, saving something from the landfill. Uh, It can be anything from an old bow radio, amateur radio equipment, TVs, VCRs and computers now. Daniel Flakelar is the president of the Adelaide Retro Computing Group and works with the local retro community to help bring sick machines back to health. Our chat with Daniel is coming up later, but Craig and I have a stack of things to get through first. G'day Craig, what have you been up to mate? Yeah, what, what have I been up to? Picked up Boulder's Gate series and there was a NASCAR series, but I think the one I was most excited about was uh, Monster Truck Madness, so that was good to get those. Oh yeah. Yeah, so apart from picking up those couple of box games, I really haven't had anything come into the household apart from a little few jibs and drabs, like a little MIDI player for the Amiga and a few bips and bobs, a GoTech, and yeah, just nothing exciting. Now, you haven't had anything major coming through your door, but I believe you may have helped put something major through someone else's door? Yeah, well, this was a bit of a weird one. I, I got a ping from Peter Irwin from Australian Vintage Computer Collection, and he said, oh, you're in Adelaide Retro. Do you think you could help us out sort of trying to collect an old IBM computer and maybe get it to the ACMS Museum in Sydney? Being who I am, I sort of said, yeah, no worries, mate. I'm more than happy to try and help you out. He goes, oh, well, before I send you the details, it's a guy, this David guy, who's had this old IBM for nearly 40 years. I'm like, oh, wow, that's great. It'd be awesome to get something that old. Then he sent me the dimensions of the thing, it is an IBM 4131, 2.1 metres long. I think it's 1,100 wide and 850 high. I said, look, yeah, no worries. I'll go and have a look at the thing for you. So I rang up a mate and I said, mate, there's this study IBM we need to go and have a look at. And he got all excited. I said, yeah, wait till you hear about it, though. It could be quite a beast. So I rang the guy who actually owned it and had it stored in his shed. And I'm thinking, oh, look, if this thing's too bloody far away, I'm not driving an hour and a half to go and have a look at a half-dead IBM. But, I, I mean, I probably would have. <laughs> Teed up a couple of days later to get out there. And, yeah, this thing is a bloody beast. It does look like a massive big freezer with a special chest freezer as the second part of the 4131, which is actually a two-megabyte memory module. Yeah, we had a bit of a look around the thing, and it was like, oh, geez, this thing looks bloody heavy, and he said it was heavy. He'd been sort of half using it as a workbench for the last 40 years. <laughs> um, it had the original table that came with it as well. Bloody hell. Yeah, yeah was, wow, okay. <laughs> it, was, it was just one of those, like, wow, what is this? This thing is just bloody huge. The funny part was the guy actually installed this thing in a government agency back in 1979, and he decommissioned the thing in 1982 because it really didn't sort of cut the mustard. But he said he did some programming on it. Very weird thing. It's uh, You need to Google it, and I'll put a a link in the show notes. We had a bit of a look and said, yeah, he goes, look, I really want to go on in a fortnight, and the guys from ACMS are like, we all really want this thing. So we ummed and ahed, and we're pretty lucky we've got a mate who's got a skip bin business. Hmm. So, carton of beer, teed it all up. He turned up the other day. 
I moved it out into the yard a bit, put some straps underneath it, and this thing just like breezed it onto the back and loaded it all up, tied it down, and off she went, mate. The next phase of it is trying to get the thing through to Sydney Museum, so I'm not too sure how it's going to get there, mate, but that's the plan. That's an amazing story, Craig, and that is so cool, just the preservation of history, and I'm really I'm really all about that. That's one of the things I love most about this hobby, and hopefully the bloke that had that for the last 40 years as a workbench in his garage, hopefully he'll be in touch with ACMS to be able to give them a backstory about how it was used and all that kind of gear so that when they do eventually put it on display, they'd be able to explain what makes that particular machine so interesting and so historically significant. Yeah, he did give us a box of documentation and he reckons he's got some of his handwritten code in there. He said it was an assembly you wrote in that was the next level. It had an interpreter. He didn't quite have to write in core assembly, but it, uh, he was he was a pretty fascinating bloke, actually. And look, and if it takes five years to the thing to get back up and running and uh, back into service, well, you know, so be it. It'd be a bloody great thing. Nice one. Did you hear a little bit of a room? You had a bit of a shout-out from someone. Can you um, fill us in, mate? I did. Some bloke from America you might have heard of. His name's Adrian. Adrian Black, you may have heard of yeah, him. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe heard of him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've spoken with him uh, a little bit online and stuff, and I helped point him in the right direction with a couple of things to do with his BBC Master that he recently restored, and uh, he was kind enough to give me a shout-out at the end of uh, one of his videos that he made about the Master. Great series of videos, by the way. If you haven't seen them already, well worth checking out. If you're listening to us because Adrian sent you over to the Oz Retro Comp YouTube channel, then thank you. This is really, you know, first up, thank you to, for listening and thanks again to Adrian for bringing you here. Whilst on the topic of the channel, it wasn't just Adrian that helped. The last episode actually helped too. It seems like a few people quite like what we talk about and liked what I was doing enough to watch some of my other videos. So again, if that's you, then thank you so much. I do appreciate it. I'm opening up the feed bag and having a bit of a rummage. We welcome all the feedback, and this is feedback that isn't always entirely positive, and some of it may take exception to the opinions that Craig and I put out there. And this is the whole thing with Grumpy Oz Retro. Craig and I do have opinions, and we're not going to hold back on them, and we think this is healthy. It's even more healthy to allow people to have a rebuttal when they don't agree with us. One listener took exception to my comments about the iMac G4 eye lamp in episode one. To be honest, I think the G4 lampshade is as ugly as sin. I stand by my opinion, but I also respect opposing opinions, such as the one given by Randall. Because it was so different to all the rest of the boring beige boxes that were being wheeled out by even Apple... By the time I got to the iLamp, they stopped selling the um, Boring Beige boxes. And it said that at least there was some company out there who was interested in building something different. That's also a teaser for Episode 3, where Craig and I have a chat with Randall, and he tells us all about his time working with computers. And this goes back to the 80s, and he has some fantastic stories. To make sure that you don't miss it, subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your pods.
there's some stuff on eBay at the moment, which I'm not sure what the thought process is with some of the sale prices. I mean, we've obviously touched on them in the last couple of episodes, but a couple that have jumped out at me this month, both deck related. The first one is a PDP 11 that's for sale here in Adelaide that the vendor is asking $4,000 for. It's in nice condition. And it's 1983 model by the looks of things. It's not like the old 70s style one. So it's a slightly modern in the PDP-11 context. I'm not sure who's going to pay four grand for a PDP-11. I mean, they're cool, but I don't know if they're four grand worth of cool, Craig. I think it's for people who just like to say I spent $4,000 on a PDP-11. The machine itself is usually hidden away in a server room somewhere and the users were using terminals, so it's not like you really need the PDP-11 sitting next to you to get the authentic experience, is it? Don't get me wrong, I'd sit one on my mantelpiece if my missus had let me, but uh, yeah, I'm not spending 4K on one. Sorry about that. Can your mantelpiece support 40 kilos? Because apparently that's how much this one weighs. Maybe. I still got to get it past the wife, so either way it's not going to happen. Well, speaking of stupidly priced shit, well, there's this Amiga Feet 1000 with a Phoenix board in it. Now, it popped up, I think, on Facebook originally for 1500 bucks, and I think the dude got completely hammered all of a sudden, and then it just dropped off. And then all of a sudden it reappeared on Facebook again for like three or four grand, and then it disappeared again, and then it magically reappeared back up on eBay. Now, I think one of the resellers on eBay may have picked this thing up, Popped it up in there, and you can tell it's the same machine because we, A, Adelaide Retro, all had a laugh because it kept appearing and then disappearing and then kept reappearing, and then the price was going up exponentially. And we could tell it was the same machine because it was, they, I don't think they bothered to clean the thing. It's got the same shitty stains across the front of it that it's had, and it's still got the same shitty stains across the front of it. And it's on eBay and it's sitting at four grand, but uh, finally it got pulled, I think. So who knows where the Phoenix 1000's gone, mate? Into the ashes. <laughs> thing is though is that the phoenix my understanding is quite sought after because it's a very rare board made here in adelaide from my understanding fewer than 1000 phoenix boards were actually made so apparently they are prized by collectors but i'm not sure if i would pay that much for one well the last one i saw i think a bloke up in renmark got rid of one with a a1000 with a screen and the phoenix board i think you got about 1800 bucks for it so that's probably six months ago. So yeah, probably maybe two grand's not too bad, but yeah, 4K. Yeah, tell them the dreaming. I think the biggest dream of this month, though, has to be the dude over in Melbourne that's selling an Alpha Station 255 300 megahertz. $29,995. Buy it now. Duly. On the plus side, though, according to eBay... There's a way we can pay only $29,895 if we click their link and no doubt subscribe to something they're trying to sell us. But uh, yeah, $30,000 for an Alpha Station. Free shipping? There is free shipping, so that's something. So, Tony, being the ARC Virgin, that's Adelaide Retro Computing Group, you were on your first meet the other day. What was your experience there, mate? Did you, did you have a good time? I thought it was absolutely fantastic. It was just a really nice event, really nice vibe, not too crowded. The people there were friendly. They were all there for sharing each other's retro machines and having a good time, talking about the machines, showing them off, playing with other people's machines. It was really, really nice. 
Awesome. I'm glad you uh, had a good time. I hope you're well welcomed. It was a theme night, and the theme was USA versus UK versus aliens. Now, Craig, do you want to hazard a guess as to how many British machines were there? One. <laughs> yep, one. It was my BBC Master 128 that was the only British machine there in a sea of American stuff, which is okay. Yeah, it's a bit sad. Well. Yeah, mate, it's a bit sad, really. I was going to bring a specky along and probably a machine from the US, but, yeah, I would have thought the old Poms would have had a bit more. Look, maybe it's something to do with the cricket. Maybe they're a bit depressed and didn't, you know, they didn't get there in the cricket, so maybe they didn't make it for Arc Retro. I was quite close to taking my Electron there with me as well. However, I didn't quite have it ready in time because that way I could have doubled the population of British machines or even if I'd just taken my Amstrad NC100 to take notes on the night rather than having to transcribe them the next day. I don't know if we can claim this for the British side as such, but uh, Andrew brought his Timex Sinclair 2068, the American market version of the ZX Spectrum, but probably a bit too American to really fit the British category, maybe. But it's a really cool machine. I've never seen one in real life before, and I was very impressed by that. I've only ever seen them on YouTube. So, yeah, I'll very, he's going to have to bring it along again. I'll make him. Daniel brought his Compact Portable 3 along, which is a beautiful machine. It's a 286. It was in really clean condition. I think he touches on it a bit later on in this episode. There were a ton of Macs. The highlight of the Mac contingent for mine was Graham's SE30s. He had two SE30s on an Apple Talk network sharing a printer, which I thought was pretty cool. And some people were printing out banners and all this other sort of stuff like it was 1989. So it was like dot matrix and it was making the noise. And oh, that was just fantastic. Graham's a bit of a gun there. I have seen him with four Macs connected before. And I've seen him just bring a PABX along just so we can you know, have some phones talk to each other or fire up a modem. It's great. There are also quite a few PCs from the Pentium era. I also saw a couple of Commodore 64s. Now, one in particular was very interesting. Nathan brought his 64, which is souped up with a RAD expansion unit. He was running Doom on his Commodore 64, which I thought was pretty impressive. Like an REU thing. Um, yes, I know what you mean. Yeah, I want to get one. The most interesting and potentially most impressive item of the evening, I don't know if this would be classed as an alien, but uh, an unnamed member of ARC brought a netbook with them. That's not the impressive part. Have you heard of Red Star OS, Craig? Negative from me. What's, what's Red Star? Red Star OS is the official operating system of North Korea. Wicked. That's cool. Now, I can't name who brought it with them because if Kim Jong-un found out, he could be in a bit of trouble. The <laughs> ARC member, not Kim, dear leader. Red Star OS version 3 leaked out of North Korea a couple of years back. It's based on Linux. This particular version isn't very old, but it looks like Mac OS from about 2003. So it's quite interesting how it looks. Although the most interesting and perhaps the most frightening part and the reason why you want to be careful with Red Star OS is apparently it's got a lot of software in it that will phone home. The gentleman that brought this netbook in with him refused to connect to the Wi-Fi, and I think that's probably for the best. Now, Craig, at the very top of the show, I mentioned that I got a shout-out from Adrian Black. 
I believe that you may have something similar from another YouTuber. I was coming home from the beer and barbecue festival and my phone's going, oh, ping, ping, ping. And like, oh, 14 minutes, 11 seconds, check out this YouTube clip from LGR. And I'm like, oh, gee, what's, what's going on here? And then I remembered that I reckon it was probably around six, seven, eight months ago. I helped one of our members clean out his brother's estate and there were some random bits of software and books and crap there. And there was this 3D sound joysticky thing that was still boxed. And then I thought, ah, oh, this looks like the sort of weird-ass thing that LGR would probably like. Took a couple of photos of the covers of it and sent it to LGR. And he said, yeah, flicked it across. And eight months later, he finally does an unboxing and he opens this thing up. I did put a bit of a heartfelt letter in there because one of our club members, his brother had passed away and he's the one who provided the item to us to send across to LGR. And yeah, it was great that he got a mention, Adelaide Retro got a mention, and yeah, bloody happy day. So it's good to get a bit of a shout out from the old LGR. He's got quite a few subscribers, I'd suggest. And I noticed Ark actually got hit up by a few random people that actually wanted to join up on the Facebook group uh, for the next couple of days. So yeah, super cool. We've got a couple of YouTube underdogs this month from Australia. Both of them are quite small channels, but they've been around for a little while and they're both worth checking out. First one is The Clueless Engineer. This is a dude named Brett. His videos are quite a, um, I don't know how I'd describe it, but it's a fairly sort of laid back, casual sort of thing. Just some dude sitting at his bench. He's not talking to camera as such. It's just like his hands just doing stuff. I reckon he's probably got Australia's largest collection of Eastern Bloc computers. We're talking like the old Soviet speckies and all these other weird and wonderful things from behind the Iron Curtain. And just to see so many of them in Australia is actually a bit of a head spin. He's interesting in that he'll release one or two videos a day every day for, say, three or four weeks. And then he'll go quiet for three or four weeks and then he'll crank out the videos again. And I suspect it might be because he's a FIFO worker churns out the videos when he can but sometimes goes a bit quiet he's got around 1100 subs and 110,000 views he's well worth checking out have you seen the clueless engineer craig did jump on there after you flicked it into the show notes and i went through and i said i went well wow he's got a hell of a lot of bloody eastern block speckies and stuff and i did see him pull apart the nabu the other week and he just ripped the power supply out and i was going to do this i'm going to do that and he's cutting wires left right and center i'm just like Jesus Christ, I hope he knows how to put that back together. And yeah, by the end of it, he had that thing cranking. He did the same with a Specky. I watched a Specky one. He had a Russian one, which had some weird ROMs in it. And it turned out the ROMs were in the wrong way, but that was pretty much part of the journey. But, you know, it's one of those ones I saw the first part and I really had to see the second part. So yeah, very enjoyable sort of dude. My other underdog for the month is The Basement. His name's Johan. He's from Tasmania. His main interest is Max, but he also dabbles in other things like vintage audio. Sometimes he makes videos about stuff he's trash picked and fixes up. That's something very close to my heart. I do enjoy a bit of trash picking myself. You will need to click one of the links in the show notes because, and this is not a criticism at all, but Johan, mate, the basement is a little bit hard to find. Have, do you know how many bloody things out there are called the basement? It was a real struggle to try and find you unless you got the direct link. So happily, we got the direct links in the show notes. Absolutely worth checking out. I wondered whether I've seen this guy before, Tony. He's very familiar. I'm not sure. I'm trying to think. I've seen oh. him in some videos and I go, on, who is that dude? He's pretty recognisable. And I've gone, oh, yeah, he is. Um, I've seen him somewhere else. And I thought he was like a quite a prolific YouTuber with lots of subs. 
And to put that on the record, I watched him repair his mate's LP player the other day, and I was, you know, I was quite enjoyed it. Yeah, so the YouTube cream, Tony. This month, I have got old Control or Reese. And yeah, he's got some pretty cool stuff. He's got a few prototypes and some like random consoles from Japan and that. So yeah, I generally do like his content. And this one popped up, which was about the Atari Computer Museum. And I sort of looked at it and I went, no, yeah, this is probably just going to be some knob who owns every single Atari on the planet that he picked up in 1992, all boxed and beautifully looking for $28.50. And I'll just get bloody the shits up and get jealous about it all. But (laughs) I ended up giving a bit of a crack, and it was actually about the Atari Computer Museum, which is a website, and the owner, Kurt, unfortunately, he passed away in 2021, Mm -hmm. and his actual website went down after 12 months because none of his family could get into the DNS or set up the domain or actually find out his password, so unfortunately, it just went offline. So this is about Reese's journey to try and resurrect the actual Atari Computer Museum through the Wayback Machine archive.org and some other resources that he's got out there so he really wants to try and resurrect what kurt's done he's hooked in with another guy called carl who's written quite a few atari books and uh, he seemed like a bit of a legend himself but the whole museum and the stuff that kurt actually owned i was quite fascinated as i started to watch the video kurt was involved in the original flashback one and two Mm. so that was quite interesting i'm not going to go into everything because i think you really should watch this only goes for 16 minutes or so There was a blue Atari 2600 that they developed that looked a little bit like a Nintendo Switch with a couple of joysticks on it, but a little bit bigger. Mm. And then that ended up turning into the actual 2600 Junior. So that was pretty cool. Kurt had some of these prototypes, and it turns out he actually had more stuff than what Atari actually ended up with. So it's quite cool that he had all this. There was a handheld set of series of handhelds. There was a little Simon Says that went out to market, didn't do too well, but they're going to back that in with the Space Invaders and a Super Breakout, but that never ended up getting to market. They had some weird holographic stuff called the Cosmos, and he had actually brought this out to a few Atari shows, but I like Reese's comment. He just goes, oh, this thing is like migraine-inducing because it had like a spinny holographic uh, mirror setup array in it, and I can see Defender was running on it, but, yeah, it did look pretty, uh, pretty bad. And then Atari, in their infinite wisdom, through the 80s, decided to build a headband. Now, I'd never heard of this headband, but apparently it was like, you know, it was using alpha waves or something. But I think at the end of the day, they only made 250 of them. I think you're just moving your eyebrows up and down at the end of the day. So all that left you with is either going left or right or up or down. (laughs) So all they ever developed for it was Pong (laughs) or Super Breakout again. So that's quite funny. And then... In true fashion, old Jack Tramiel come in and said, uh, what's this bloody headband thing? That's a pile of shit. We're cancelling that, even though they probably spent five or six million dollars on it in the 80s. <laughs> Hilarious. I'm not going to go into everything because I think you really should watch this. It only goes for 16 minutes or so. I checked that video out and it wasn't just the fact that Kurt had all this cool stuff and Reese was documenting it, but the fact that Reese was so involved in resurrecting the website, I just thought it was a really lovely thing all around and it was really well done. I really enjoyed what Reese did with that. I think my defining moment was when the founder of the guy who developed or who basically built the 2600 originally was approached by nolan bushnell who said build me a robot that will deliver me beer so that's what the dude did he went off and he built a robot and you'll see it on the video i'm not going to tell you too much but i can just tell you that there was a salad bowl that was upside down that was involved and it's actually quite funny more information in the show notes yeah cool so my other little bit of uh youtube cream 
Tony sent this through to me. It was about the one-up arcade in Brisbane. Now, when I first started watching this, I reckon I got about two or three minutes into it, and I stopped it, and I went back to actually see where it was. And, yeah, unfortunately, it was in Brisbane because I was thinking, shit, if this is in Melbourne, I'm going to crack out there. I want to get to Melbourne as soon as I can so I can get over there and spend some time in there. It's a half-hour cruise up the aisles of this arcade, and they run through all the different machines that they've got in there. And you can see there's a huge amount of love and passion, the way they've represented their arcade and all the machines in it. And they're sort of focused on their point of difference, which is like we've got lots of random weird machines with different sticks and different controllers that, you know, a lot of other arcades never got. They do have some very unique machines in there. Got a big Sega lineup, Shinobi, Auto Beast, Wonder Boy. They've got the Karate Champ twin stick machine, which has got, actually got no buttons in it. It's one of the first fighting machines. All the Street Fighters, the things I learned was that they were actually made in Australia, the cabinets by LAI. Leisure and Allied Industries. And the actual joysticks were also Australian-made. So that was pretty cool, I thought. They've got the an Alien vs. Predator machine. Now, generally, those machines have only got two players. They actually reconfigured the thing because it does support three, and they built their own cabinet and set up all the controls to get it running on three players. So that was really cool. Kick-ass racing section with Daytona, Sega Rally, that sort of stuff. Some of the Japanese arcade cabinets that they had there I thought were pretty cool. They've got just like massive like 30-inch CRTs on them and they actually set them up back-to-back so you can sit there and you can play against another person but you don't actually really know who you're playing. And when I went to Japan, we cruised into a couple of arcades and it was just brought you back there, except there was no cigarette smoke, and just line after line of all these crazy Japanese games. So that was really cool. They had a Quake arcade machine that really sort of wasn't released but there's a hacked ROM out there and they managed to get that running. Bit of Virtua Fighter. They had this really cool... Aussie arcade machine, which was round and had flashy lights around the outside of it. It looked very 70s, but I think it actually came in the 80s. And I think they used to play Gyrus on it, which is what it originally came out. And I got a bit of a fond uh, attachment to Gyrus. I used to play that at my local fish and chippy. So I really love that. Big wall of Gottlieb machines, 28 pinball machines from Kiss and Playboy right the way up through the Adams family. Got an old school Pong Space Invader section. And give you a bit of a tour out the back with all the spares and all the joysticks and where they're appearing stuff. But yeah, I was really super impressed, Tony. What were your thoughts? Yeah, that video about the One Up Arcade is a special feature from a documentary called Still Standing, which was released earlier this year on all the major streaming platforms. It goes through the history of pinball and arcade in Australia. If you love playing pinball, if you love playing arcade machines, or if you're Someone that's a little bit older who remembers all this stuff from back in the day, even as a casual player, I reckon you'll get a kick out of it. We'd like to welcome Daniel Flakelar to our Grumpy Els Retro podcast. Uh, thanks a lot for coming along tonight, Daniel. How are you faring? Yeah, yeah, not too bad. Just finished fixing up a few retro things for the upcoming arc and uh, looking forward to a chat. So, uh, yeah, Daniel, uh, we always like to kick off, even though it's early days, but I always find it really interesting. We like to find out what people's first computer, console sort of experience was. What, you know, what made the, what made your tick, mate, to get into computers? What was your first oh. system? Oh, my first system. Well... Toss up between, oh, I can't remember what come first, the Atari 2600 that we had or the Commodore VIC-20. I know I probably wasted away a lot more at the VIC-20. Yeah, yeah, Commodore VIC-20 would be my first real experience with the computer. 
Was that the sort of computer you actually sort of wanted or just sort of one of those uh, surprises that rolled in on Christmas Day? Or? Yeah, it was one of those things that sort of just rocked up. It was mostly my older sister that used to play with it. I got it secondhand off her pretty much. Ah, right. Any memories of that machine that sort of uh, twinkled the ivories at all? Ah, oh, sitting there for hours and hours and hours typing in basic and then trying to work out what syntax error in 20 meant. Welcome to my childhood. Yes. <laughs> Now, this VIC-20, obviously, spending so much time on it had a big impact on your life. Where did you kind of go from there after you started with the VIC? I mean, how did it influence your later life? Uh, I was always interested in pulling things apart and trying to repair them. And, yeah, I could never repair this thing. It died one day and it was in a thousand pieces. And then I decided to see how much these little black chips could explode when being hit by a axe. <laughs> I bet the folks were pleased with that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely proud as punch for that moment. (laughs) Did you have any success bringing something back together? Yeah, a few things. See, I'm the second youngest of seven kids and two older brothers. One's a mechanic and one's an auto-elect mechanic. Their room was a never-ending supply of mum's kitchen things like can openers and beaters and record players and stuff like that. I put a few of them back together. My brother was also good at pulling it apart, but never really good at putting it together. So I used to try and do that. And yeah. I'll get along <laughs> well with your brother then. Yep. Yeah. What was that moment that you needed to get back into retro? Was it an old machine or something that you aspired uh, to recreate your childhood with or something? Or? Eventually, yes, but I was cleaning out my shed. I used to refurbish PCs and on sell them, 2002 ish sort of era. So doing late Pentium 3s, Pentium 4s and stuff like that, like getting a bulk lot of commercial stuff and then on-selling them. In that one of the lots, I got an old Deck Alpha station and a Sun Spark IPX. I knew they were something special, so they went around the around Australia with me as I moved around. And uh, I found them a few years back and decided, nah, these aren't really for me, and sold them to someone local here in Adelaide. Turned out to be a member of ARC and... Oh, wow. From there, I met up with a fair few people and pretty much a bad smell at the meetings and <laughs> then got up at the courage and put together a system that I always wanted to. I always loved slot one systems, Intel 440BX system, slot one, Pentium 2, Pentium yeah. 3, eat your heart out, go nuts. Yeah, That's was a good era. my ultimate era. Yeah, built up a couple of those and uh, decided to bring my son along as well and uh, he loves coming along uh, to ARC as well. So I sort of spread the, the passion there a bit. Yeah, have fun kicking around. Yeah, you've actually just answered my next question there, so thanks for that. I was going to ask <laughs> how I got so... No, don't, don't worry, mate. It, it just means that things are flowing like I thought they were going to. Now, that's, there is another follow-up question, and this is aimed more at someone that might be listening to this who doesn't live in Adelaide, they don't have access to ARC, they may not even know how to get started, like how to find their, their tribe of like-minded people in their local area. What sort of advice would you give to these sorts of people that want to congregate with other like-minded retro enthusiasts in the real world? If you're listening to this, you go on a good way. Facebook groups, do wildcard searches for retro computing in the particular town or city that's closest to you. I know there's big setups in Sydney. There's multiple clubs up there. Canberra has a group. Melbourne's got groups, Adelaide's got various groups, Perth's got a group, 
they're not all just retro PCs either. Some cater for Amiga stuff, Mac stuff, specific type of gaming that you do. There's lots of these little communities out there and yeah, you'll find them if you just search Facebook a bit and start chatting with people and quite surprising how many like-minded people there are out there. I guess I would like to circle a little bit further back to ARC again because there was one part of the question I had that hadn't fully been answered. Obviously, you've gotten full on into it and I believe you're currently the president of ARC? Yeah, last man standing. Oh, okay. My time yeah. in the barrel. Nah, it's not like that at all. <laughs> uh, I was going to ask how you got roped into it, but it sounds like you volunteered that information. <laughs> how, are you fi- yeah. how are you fighting that? Ark's a good club, and a group of us, Craig included, decided to step up and save it when things looked like they were going south due to various reasons. So um, it's too much of a good thing to die. What's your driver for sort of continuing to be there? Purely more of a probably a social thing, gathering, a bunch of like-minded people just standing around, chewing the shit. Don't even have to play a game or turn my machine on. It's just getting around, talking to people, seeing what they've bought. That's the fun part about it. With ARC, you could be a Mac person, you could be an Amiga person, you could be a PC person, you could be a console person. Everyone's welcome. Even though we have theme nights, if you want to bring whatever you think you want to bring, yeah, it's more than welcome. And that's what I like about it. We are, well, I hope that we are a sort of a warm and inviting bunch of people and it'd be a shame to lose that sort of thing. Yeah, I reckon I actually spend as nearly as much time chatting to people in ARC now as I do with my other group of friends around the trap. So it does become a bit of a family, just about. Yeah. Daniel, I know you tend to repair quite a few machines and I know you fixed a few of mine, but, you know, what sort of buzz do you get from that? And do you ever have that bit of regret not having, you know, when you fixed it, having to give the machine back and not being able to keep it? How do you, how do you feel about that? <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I really enjoy uh, repairing machines. Saving something from the landfill uh, can be anything from an old valve radio, amateur radio equipment, TVs, VCRs, and computers now. I just really enjoy getting into it, fixing it, and bringing it back to life. The old retro stuff's, yeah, so much easier to fix to being you can actually change chips and you can fault find it, you can do everything to it. Yeah, there's been a few regrets giving things back to owners. Um, it's a certain repair I did for someone that will remain nameless. Beautiful Apple II clone with this very unique sun-bleached yellow monitor. It's just absolutely awesome. Everyone that's seen the photos I've taken of, it's very envious of this person that's got it. That's the one that I've let go. No doubt you've seen dozens, if not hundreds, of different devices, computers, and whatnot. Is there one particular system that you enjoy working on more than any others? Or do you have any particular favourites at all? It would have to be the early PC year. We're talking Pentium 3 and earlier, all the way back to the XT sort of era. A massive pile of XT boards in the shed that I've been going through repairing. I think at last count I had about 10 to 15 8088 boards there that I've uh, fixed up. 286s, 386s, 486s, Vata leak batteries, you name it. <laughs> but no, nah, that's that's the sort of era I like. The odd Mac or Amiga thrown in there for good value as well. You've had a lot of success in getting old machines back to life, but has there been a machine that's defeated you? 
Ah, yes, the one that I couldn't fix, the Archimedes. Yeah, yeah, that's that's one that got let go. That one, um, that one got let go by the battery. It's a shame. I've always wanted an Archimedes, but I'm just too scared because most of them are completely rooted. I'm kind of coping by just running a Raspberry Pi 400 with Risk OS. I know it's not quite the same, but it's close enough, and I figure that at least there isn't a battery in there that's going to shit the bed. So that's how yep. I'm getting my Archie fix at the moment. Yeah, well, this one had totally shit the bed, fully rotted motherboard, oh, chased God. so many fires. Yeah. Yep. yeah, keyboard was even rotted. Oh. Um, we changed... All the ROMs, all the ROM sockets, new mouse port, socketed the real-time clock, but it was bad still. Chasing the internal bus, like the I-squared bus inside it, it's got part that talks to the real-time clock and it's just shattered. Yeah, I think the actual real-time clock chip's buggered, but you can't get it. It's now a wall art for someone. Find a bloke who's building a Raspberry Pi Archimedes setup that needs to buy just a case. Don't know anyone. Yeah. What's on the bench at the moment, mate? What are you What are you working on at the moment? Anything exciting? Oh, exciting? No. I've got your Amiga on the workbench at the moment. It's about to get the video chip replaced due to the leaky caps eating away the uh, delay line inductors. Got that to do. There's a new fix that just come out for that, actually. It popped up on eBay and on a link the other day with a new little backboard that sits on top of that chip. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I want to send it to you because I'll let you fix it and then you can... Um, yeah, we'll worry about that later. Oh, so I can do it twice. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, mate. <laughs> no worries. Anything, anything oh, else you're working on? Got a couple of Amstrad color monitors for the old PC1512 and just come oh, off the workbench and is now sitting pride of place in front of me is my compact portable. Yeah, nice. I have seen some pictures of that. What's the range of machines that you got, mate? What have I got sitting right here in front of me? I've got my 5160, my PS2 3286, got a couple of clone 286s, 386s, 486s, a couple of Pentiums, a couple of uh, plenty of Pentium 2s and Pentium 3s, but that's pretty much where I stop. Uh, I got a couple of P4s, but I have absolutely no love for them. No, no, you're right. As long as you've got plenty of 486s, mate, that's the main thing. I'm a bit of a fan of the 486. That's my sweet spot. What's the rattiest, shittiest system you've ever had to sort of repair and you've got the most enjoyment out of actually getting back up on the back up and running? I met this bloke at one point, fairly new to the club, and he had a shed full of old trashed computers. I ended up picking up a bunch of motherboards and they were covered in all sorts of shit. Like, literally, it looked like chook shed shit. So I re- resurrected most of those motherboards and I ended up finding off another ARC member, an old rusty uh, AT-style case. And uh, the AT-style case met with the belt sander and spray filler and uh, got nicely re-sprayed. And the motherboard met with many hours of fault finding and yeah, cleaning off. The two got married together and uh, sit there as one of my prized 286s that gets used quite often and almost as prized, oh, maybe it's even a little bit more prized than my PS2 there. I think there's a bit of a difference between a barn find and a chookyard find, I think, for sure. Yeah, yeah. The amount of shite on the inside. What would you say to someone who's never repaired any vintage gear before and wants to get started? Start off with basic tools screwdrivers, etc. A decent sort of soldering iron is a must, and a multimeter. 
multimeters can be had pretty cheap. That's pretty much the start. As for if you're trying to learn how to solder and actually fault find and work your way through electronics, like find scrap circuit boards somewhere, find old broken appliances and just go to town. If you find something that you have absolutely no attachment for, well, that's a good thing. Start trying to take chips off and everything like that. You'll soon learn how to actually use the tools and how to desolder things like capacitors and stuff on circuit boards. So that's basically the start. Once you've gone from there, then probably oh, my next tool of choice, once you've mastered soldering, well, got your decent sort of soldering, maybe a scope. They're cheapish and they can save you so much time. If you want to start fault-finding electrical gear, Google it and then just keep pounding away at old stuff and you'll get there. I guess there's plenty of resources out there, obviously on YouTube, etc. You got any favourite YouTube channels, mate, that are your, your go-tos? Every Sunday morning, Adrian's Digital Basement. I like the fact nice. that he's more than just a nerd there. He's also goes into the electronics, a bit of theory and stuff like that. Yeah, he's really knowledgeable. Uh, Epitronics, if you're looking to, and you've got no idea where to start with anything retro, but kind of inkening, um, Phil's Computer Lab. Uh, he's a guy here in Australia, over in WA, actually. Uh, he's pretty good with his retro tips and how to start and how to use more modern computers as well. So he does everything. There are so many YouTube channels. As soon as you start subscribing to a couple of them, they'll start flooding in, and there's so many good ones out there. Tech Tangents is another one I watch. Shelby stumbles through things. It's quite funny to watch, actually. Not funny, ha-ha, but he starts a project and has no clue about it, and then by the end of it, he's got it up and running, and that's the sort of thing I like doing as well. Yeah, I know you've done a couple of sessions at ARC before. You've set up the soldering iron and done a few repairs on that. must be uh, good to actually do that sort of on the fly. We'll have to let the punters know next time you're probably going to set that up, mate. It'd be good to do another session of that and get, let people come in, bring a few things in and get things repaired. Yeah, for sure. It's just time. <laughs> now that we're in our new location, I can sort of scope something out, set it all up. It's been great chatting you, but the way we always tend to try and um, roll through this is that we like to ask you, because it is Grumpy Oz Retro, you know, what is the grump? There's a couple of things that really shit me. That Archimedes really shit me how a little fucking coin cell battery can kill a whole system. Yeah. <sighs> stupid. Absolutely stupid. Oh, other shitty things. Amstrads, mostly. Computers built to the cheapest possible uh, way, to the barest of minimum things. Apple <laughs> for locking everything down. You must have a favorite. The cheapest, shittiest parts I've used would probably be on my compact portable that I just did. Tip for young players. Old phone cables, like the handset cables, make really good keyboard replacement cables. So there's a tip for people. Even Grumpy and I still give a tip. <laughs> We're going to get some correspondence about this one, Craig. I'm looking forward to that. The comment section is going to be just brilliant. Totally, mate. Yeah, I think you've been pretty good on the Grumpy. Uh, you know, you haven't hit it too hard. Uh, yeah, been a good day. <laughs> Ask me when I've had a bad day. Thanks, Daniel, for giving us your time, and thank you for listening to Grumpy Oz Retro. Head to grumpyozretro.com for podcast links, 
our contact details and all that good stuff. Until next time, see you later. Catch you later and don't forget, stay retro.